22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. And we'll stop there. Reverend Tulik, sir, would you please pray over our Bible study and teacher. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so I listened to what Reverend had taught. Thank God for the internet and the streaming. When it comes to that, you can go back and re-listen and re-watch those services. And I think we're right in the area where he was dealing with. Uh, And for those who are just joining us in our Bible study, real quick, Paul the Apostle was writing to these believers. Uh, They were... Jews that had gotten saved, but they were surrounded by this Jewish religion and this culture that was constantly pulling them to go back to Judaism. And so Paul writes a very detailed, very fact-driven, very uh, uh, giving evidence and proofs of why Christianity, why Jesus is better than Judaism and the old law. And so part of what we've dealt with, he showed already that Jesus was better than Moses and Jesus was better than the angels. Remember, the Jews looked to Moses. Moses was the one that was the uh, that brought the law to them, so they really highly regarded Moses. Uh, they looked at the angels as, uh, again, highly regarded them, and yet Jesus Point by point in all these chapters, I'm not going to reteach it all. He says he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And right down here, we're dealing with priesthood. Now, uh, priesthood is very, very important to the Jewish people because, of course, they did not have the privilege that we have. If we sin, we can go to the Father. Now, even as um, those, and I was raised Roman Catholic, as a Roman Catholic, I could not have my, what they would classify as mortal sins forgiven just by myself. I had to go to a priest. I had to make that confession to a priest. They had to give me so many prayers to say. Now, none of that is biblical, but they hinged the forgiveness of the people upon the priest being the go-between. He had to go by what the priest said. You have to say 10 at home Mary's three our fathers, you have to do your penance, and then your sins will be washed away. Had to go and confess it to a priest. Now, some of these ideas, confession of sin, sometimes we confess our sins one to another, the Bible says. Maybe you might have to go to somebody and make it right with somebody. That's uh, uh, um, something, a principle that still applies today. Uh, The idea of praying still applies today. But we don't have to go to a man to get our forgiveness this is, this is great. You have to understand that for so many years, the church held forgiveness and the scriptures to themselves. And they would say things like, well, the average man isn't smart enough and they're not spiritual enough to be able to uh, go through the scriptures. And so we're not going to let you. We're not going to let you have them. They would keep them out of the common language. Matter of fact, even when I was being uh, coming up in the Catholic Church, there were still congregations that did the whole service in Latin, meaning nobody understood what the guy was saying. 
You just can't stand up, sit down, kneel down, do all this. He's saying, Anno Domini, so-and-so, you know, all this stuff. Nobody knew what they were saying. That was still kind of a holdover from the same idea. And so the religion, the, the Bible wasn't translated into the common language until Martin Luther came by. He got locked up in a prison, uh, Wartburg Castle. He began to translate uh, the New Testament into German so the common people could have it. This happened in other areas and other places. And then when the people began to read the Bible, they understood, hey, I'm not dependent upon a man a priest to forgive me of my sins. Now I've got a different priest. I can go straight to Jesus. So I'm not dependent upon a human man. Now, there is human leadership in the New Testament church, of course. We have teachers, evangelists, pastors, preachers, all these people that have jobs, apostles that God institutes. But as for forgiveness, I don't have to go to a man for him to absolve me of my sins to sprinkle something on me or to say so many prayers, I can, go to, I can go to my high priest, which is Jesus. Amen? Amen. So this is really important. They were focused on this um, idea of priesthood. Now let me, let's go verse by verse. Number 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Surety means guarantee. Jesus was the guarantee or the sponsor of this new covenant. Now, you can make a covenant, an agreement, a contract with somebody, but that contract is only as good as the two people making it. If you make a contract with an evil, deceptive individual, it's probably not going to be worth very much. He's not going to keep his end of the deal. Amen? So the Bible tells us God made an oath. So God makes a promise. And then he tells us Jesus becomes the guarantor or the guarantee or the sponsor of that promise. Jesus will not only uh, make this promise true on the end of God, but he comes into us. And he makes the promise true on our end. So we have God God the Father making the promise, God the Son Jesus coming into us, enabling us to keep the promise. He becomes the guarantor so that this covenant has a greater power than the Old Testament covenant. The Old Testament covenant did not have God inside the individual backing them to do what's right. Do you follow? I'm going a little quick. I'm trying to cover some ground. but uh, So Jesus becomes the guarantor. He is the, the sponsor. And he gives us a better covenant. Now, this, this word here, Greek word, angios, legal term, referring to someone who assumed an obligation in place of another. It's the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. Jesus assumes that obligation in us. The Bible tells us that we are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. So God says when we come to Jesus and we confess our sins and we ask God to forgive us, Jesus predetermines that the person that comes to Christ, he is going to form them, make them, shape them, deal with them to where they become more like Jesus. Thank God. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't leave us in our sorriness. He constantly pushes us. And, and, and you got to understand, Christians, if you've been around for a while, we can't. You can't allow a, a lazy spirit to enter into your Christianity. 
You can't allow that lukewarm spirit to get there. You can't get to the place where you say, man, thank God I'm saved. Let the world die and go to hell, but I'm in. Praise God. Can't let that happen. The Holy Spirit won't let you allow that to happen. You'll be uneasy. You won't be comfortable doing that. Going on. This expression, uh, Jesus becomes the mediator of a better covenant. He's, God stands, God's oath stands behind the appointment of Jesus as high priest. Now, verse 23. And they truly, speaking about the Old Testament high priest, were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Josephus tells us that from the first high priest, way back to Aaron, to the fall of the second temple around 70 A.D., there were probably 83 high priests. 83. Some of them were good, some of them not so good. And just picture this. I mean, you can probably get uh, a certain understanding even from changing in a pastor. You have a pastor, finally you start to think, okay, he understands me, I can relate with him, I understand him, and then uh, he dies or he gets replaced and goes somewhere else. You got another pastor. Now you have to start that whole process of building trust over again. And I'm not saying that because we're getting ready to go anywhere, so just relax. But the whole same idea. So you have a good high priest, maybe he's teaching them, he's doing good, etc., etc., and you're thankful, man, this high priest, he really has a walk with God. I believe he's teaching good things. And then he dies. And he's gone. Then you got the next high priest. 83 of them came and went. And so because of that, Paul was saying, listen, our covenant, our, our guarantor, Jesus, our high priest is better because he's not going to be changed out after 20 or 30 years. He's not going to die. So he's there forever. That's why our priesthood in Christ is better than the Old Testament priesthood. Hey, Jewish Christian, why would you want to go back to the law? To a priest that's going to be, you can't, you can't trust him to be there forever. He's going to die one day. But this Jesus is never going to die. He was dead, but he's alive forevermore. Why would you go back to something that's absolutely guaranteed to be temporary instead of staying with something that's permanent? Now, here's the other thing. The Bible tells us that these high priests had to offer for themselves. They were not perfect. So when they sinned, they had to offer for themselves. Matter of fact, if you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, you'll find that the high priest, when he sinned, he had to make a bigger sacrifice because his responsibility, he had a higher degree of responsibility. Hey, you know better. You can't just offer a turtle dove for your sin or a goat. You've got to bring a bullock, a great big animal, because you know better and you shouldn't have sinned. So the high priest that sinned, the, the, the king that sinned, had to offer a greater sacrifice because they knew better. But those high priests, they were only as good as their integrity. They were only as good as you could trust them. I, I marvel. Um, sometimes people have experienced such betrayal in the churches that they're afraid to put any trust in any leader. Um, I can remember going to visit a lady my wife and I went to visit the lady, and she was a young lady, maybe late teens, early 20s. But she was, until she saw my wife there, very, very hesitant to uh, open up and let us in. And then eventually we found out why, because she had been involved in another church, 
And one of the preachers there had took an advantage, taken advantage of her, uh, either raped, I think, raped the girl. And so here she was looking up to this individual. She's supposed to lead me in God. And he took advantage of that faith that uh, she had, that respect that she had for him, and took advantage of the girl. And so there are some people, they go through these cycles, and then they're never going to put faith in anybody again. Now, God doesn't want us to put faith in a preacher in the same level as faith in God. But the Bible does say, have faith in God, so shall you be established. Have faith in his preachers, so shall you be, um, uh, so shall you prosper. So there's a certain degree that you have to have faith in the individual. But the priest, the Old Testament priest, they were, they were fallible. They weren't perfect. They had to make sacrifices for themselves. Sometimes they didn't have a good attitude. Can you imagine someday that here comes Sally Mae again, and here's a priest saying, come on, Sally Mae, this is the third time this week you've been coming with the same old sin. Man, I'm tired of making sacrifices for you. Sometimes he would get frustrated. Can you picture that? Sometimes he would just have an attitude. George, what are you doing, man? You got into a fight again? You've been down there getting drunk again? I'm making sacrifices for you every other day, man. When are you going to straighten up? You can picture that sometimes they wouldn't have that right spirit. Now, Jesus wasn't that way. He was the perfect high priest. He never got upset in the, in the sense of being frustrated with somebody. He would never uh, lose patience with somebody. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go on. Let's go on. This man, verse 24, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Old Testament priests under the Jewish law had a changeable priesthood because they died. One guy was there, then he was gone, next guy came in. Verse 25, and this is good too. Wherefore he, speaking of Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, we sometimes use this term. He saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. But this is really not what he's talking about. He did not mean that he was saving from the uttermost. He is saving to the uttermost. Look at what the scripture says. He is able to save them to the uttermost. So that speaks of two things. One, he saves us completely. He cleans us completely. He vanquishes every ounce of sin in our life. To the uttermost, we are saved. And then the second part is, he saves us to the end, to the uttermost. So his, because I'm in this New Testament and I've got a high priest that's going to ever be alive, he's never going to die, I can trust him to keep me. He saves me uh, completely and he saves me to the end. Now, it doesn't mean I couldn't walk away. God doesn't have hostages, all right? He's not going to take you to heaven against your will. If you one time got saved and then you decided to go back out in the world, he's not going to take you by force against your, your current will to heaven. It's not once saved, always saved. But if we want to be saved, he, will, he, will, he can keep us and save us unto the end. He is able to save to the uttermost. Now, and, and this is another good part. He ever lives to make intercession for them. Now, one time a preacher chided me. He, he didn't really know himself. 
but he chided me about, well, Jesus was just making intercession for the sinner. But that's not true. Let me give you a little background. In um, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, it does speak of this. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, speaking about Jesus is dying, because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare and he bare the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. Yes. So Jesus interceded. He bridged the gap with the Father between those who had sinned and the Father. He made a way for us to get there. He interceded both by his actions and by his words. But it doesn't stop there. In Romans 8, 33 and 34, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So now we find he's not just interceding for transgressors who have yet to come to God, but he's interceding for us who are sons of God. And I've shared this with you before. It is a great joy and comfort and peace to know God, the Son of God, Jesus, is praying for me. Because number one, I believe in his prayers. Every now and then somebody will, will say, would you pray for me? And we'll pray for them. And then sometimes they'll turn around and they'll pray for me. Which is fine. I'm going to accept their, their prayer. But if I look at them and I understand he's a drunk, she's a fornicator, you know, she's a stripper. I'm not going to have a whole lot of faith in their prayers. Amen? Because they're not living right. But I can have faith in Jesus' prayers. Amen? So when I know he's interceding for me, I know he wants the best in, best for me, and I know he wants me to succeed in God. Man, that's like putting wind in my sails. The devil wants you to think the world's against you. Everything's going down. God doesn't love you. But the Bible tells us something different. He loves us so much, he's praying for us. That he, we have an expected end in him. We, he loves us so much, he died for us. So if we understand that, then we understand that God's desire is that we get closer. That we walk, get nearer to God. Like one of our affirmations that we've been using I'm getting closer to Jesus every day. Amen? Going on. He ever lives to make intercession for us. The Levitical priest, he could not ever live to make intercession for us for several reasons. Number one, he died. So he wasn't always going to be there to pray for us. Number two, he wasn't perfect. He had sinned. And so his, his prayers weren't always going to be effective. Amen? How could we have confidence in him? But Jesus, verse 26, but such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So he's contrasting this high priest. Jesus is holy. Some of those high priests weren't holy. They were using religion as a way to make money. Are you still with me? 
Jesus was harmless. But our sin is dangerous. Jesus' righteousness heals, but our sin hurt. We needed a holy, harmless high priest. He was undefiled. We were fully defiled. Our every thought was defiled before we came to Christ. He was separate from sinners. We were one with sinners. Now, this does not mean that he did not associate with sinners, because we know he did. But it did mean he didn't fellowship with them. He didn't partake of their sin. He impacted them. And this is always a constant question you get. All right, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to come out from the world, and yet I'm supposed to impact the world. I'm supposed to uh, interact with the world so that I can bring them Christ, and yet I'm supposed to be separate from them. How do I determine what's the right line? And I would say that this is one of the determining factors. Am I impacting them? Or am I letting them impact me? So if I'm interacting with them and I'm impacting them, hey, come to church. Hey, you know what? There's a better life than that. Hey, did you know what the Bible said about this? Hey, did you know Jesus loves you? Then then I'm in the right. I'm making that positive, offensive uh, progress. But if I'm on the defense and they're just telling me about what they did over the weekend and who they slept with and how much they drank and this filthy movie and all this stuff, and I'm just fellowshipping and receiving this filth, then I'm wrong. Then I'm, I'm having fellowship with the world. So if, if you're just associating with them and you're not impacting them, that's a dangerous situation to be in. So he was separate from sinners, meaning he wasn't partaking of their sin. We were one with sinners. He was higher than the heavens. We were lower, earthly, sensual, devilish. Now, verse 27, check this out. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. High priests had to come in every day, first offer up a sin sin sacrifice for himself to get right so he could intervene, he could intercede, and then he would offer up the sacrifice for everybody else. Jesus didn't have to offer up a sacrifice for himself. He was sinless. His sacrifice was for us for all time. Are you still here? All right. He offered up sacrifice once and it was done. Verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. If you you look at the whole list of evidences and proofs that Paul has laid out. He's he's summing it up. The Old Testament law made men high priests, these go-betweens between you and God, but they had infirmity, sickness, weakness, death. They couldn't be perfect. Why would you want that? Why would you want to have uh, a priest that's going to die or a priest that's not pure or a priest that um, isn't thinking right? Why? When you have Christ, he's never going to die. He's perfect, holy, harmless, undefiled. He ever lives to make intercession for you. This guy is out here thinking about money, trying to get more sacrifices, get more food, all this other stuff. No, no. The law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. We have a high priest in the middle of the night. 
you have a high priest. Early in the morning, you have a high priest. In the middle of the day, you have a high priest. You've got somebody that loves you, that's praying for you. I want you to think about this real quick. And, and it's going to sound strange to you at first. But God loves you, you most of all. God loves you most of all. You say, wait, Pastor. God so loved the world. But God doesn't deal in just groups. He deals with individuals. So God loves you. you got to understand that. You see, I think sometimes we miss the truth there because we're thinking in groups. Yes, God so loved the world. I'm part of that. But when it comes down to personally accepting that, sometimes we have a hard time. But God loves you individually. Brother Williams or Brother Tony or Sister Jonah, Sister Devonshire or William or, or George or, or Shannon or Sister Groves. You most of all. You've got to individualize it. You could read that scripture. God so loved Deborah Buckner that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. God so loved Crystal Rich. God so loved uh, Will Thigpen. God so loved Donnell Walker. God so, you have, you have to make that personal. When I understand, hey, wait a second. I'm not just part of the group. I'm not just a number. I'm not just a cog in the machine. I am precious in the eyes of God. If I was the only one on the face of the planet, he would have died for me. That makes it different. So why would I want to trade that high priest for this guy over here? Who's going to die, who wasn't always perfect, who didn't always get it right. Why? Why go back to that? We have such a better high priest in Christ. So that brings us to the end of chapter 7. And I only want one minute over. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much. This time.